Hello, this is Dr. Mike Barnett with the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Thank you so very much for tuning in to our podcast, and I pray that today's message will be a blessing and an encouragement to you. We are engaging our people at First Baptist Church in an emphasis called Who's Your Mission? It is a challenge to personal soul winning and personal evangelism for the year 2023. We've asked our people to ask God for at least one soul to be burdened for that they might go after that soul and win them to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the theme of these current messages. And I pray that they will encourage you to be a soul winner and go after one soul that needs to be saved now and to know Jesus now. I pray these messages will help you. And again, thank you for tuning in. Thank you, Brother Dean. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them up with me to the book of Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse, let's see where I want to start today, verse 41. I am very excited about my preaching calendar for 2023. Uh, Next week, um, we'll be... I believe it's next week. Don't quote me on this. I didn't look at my calendar this morning. I look at my preaching calendar every day, but I didn't look at it this morning. I believe we're preaching on who's your mountain. Not who's your mission, but who's your mountain. And then on the 23rd, my dear friend, my old college roommate, and the best man at my wedding, besides me, um, (laughs) I guess you could say the guy who stood for me. That's what the old timers used to say. And I stood for him at his wedding. He married a, he's from Northeast Texas, and he married a South Texas girl. I'm from South Texas, and I married a Northeast Texas girl. But uh, Steve will be here, and he's uh, with the Georgia Baptist Convention in the Evangelism Department, has developed a, a uh, tool for you and me called No Sweat Evangelism. And he's going to be presenting that on the 23rd, Sunday evening, the 23rd. And if you have a mission, I want you to come to that. We're going to give you a toolkit along with uh, that and talk to you more about who's your mission and our plan of action for the rest of the year and beyond. You know, somebody said, well, is it just for 2023? I'm going to tell you something. I'm not going to quit till every one of the missions are saved. All right? I'm not going to quit till it's all said and done. How's that sound? Amen? If we're for souls, let's be for souls in 2024 also. But nonetheless, I'm looking forward to that. And then after that, I'm going to be preaching, begin a series of messages through 2 Samuel. And I've been in 2 Samuel for a long time. I I have read that book so much uh, in the last couple of years and, and been talking about it. I wake up thinking about it. I get up in the middle of the night and write some new notes on it and I, 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 folks, I got to confess something to you. I live with an expert on the characters of 2 Samuel. She plays the saxophone in our church orchestra. And I've been talking to her. I told her at the very beginning, I want you to read through 2 Samuel and we're going to go through it together. I want you insight into these characters. And, uh, boy, she's given me some uh, interesting insight into some of these people. You know, a, a lady has a discernment that us guys don't have. Would you agree with that? You better or you lack discernment, gentlemen. But uh, she's really helped me. And you know what? She's been exactly right. As I've studied the Scripture, she's been exactly right. And if I ever disagree with her, I'm going to change my mind. But um, I'm really excited about it. And uh, I want to tell you, uh, you're going to be amazed at Jesus in 2 Samuel. When you read your Old Testament, you're starting to read your Bible today through, and you're in the Old Testament, and you're saying, what does this? Look for Jesus. Look for Jesus. And look for the cross. Look for the glory of Christ, and you'll find it. And uh, anyway, so I'm very excited about 2023 preaching. After we finish 2 Samuel, uh, 
I'm praying about uh, going through the book of Acts, and uh, that's where we are today. But so I hope and pray you're, you're excited about it. Get your sermon notebook. We'll have, hopefully we'll have some of those little books printed out that we use to uh, help you understand the text a little bit more and give you a little more insight. And so I'm really excited about it, and I urge you to pray for me. Pray for me for the ministry of preaching, that the Word of God would have free course, and without fear, favor, or compromise, I'll uh, proclaim it and preach it. And, and I need these prayers today. I need that prayer today. Because today I'm going to speak to you as a pastor to his congregation at a watershed moment, a time when we need to uh, sit down and consider what we do, what we emphasize. Not that we're going to cancel anything, but just an emphasis that we need to bring about. And what I'm going to talk to you today about some of the things I'm going to be emphasizing. And so I come to you as a pastor to his people, as an under-shepherd to his sheep. Today I celebrate my 22nd year here at First Baptist Church, Ocean Springs. Y'all are getting old. <laughs> but uh, I believe I have the uh, credentials to say what I'm going to say today. All right? Now, I'm going to start out, and you're going to look at me, and you're going to say, Preacher, you are doom and gloom today. Where's the joy? My goodness, Preacher, we're going to leave here Depressed. No, you're not. No, you're not. So bear with me because I'm about to share some, some statistical information today that is doom and gloom. And I don't see it turning around on a mass scale. And so please know that. I am not beginning my 2023 pulpit ministry on a sour note or a negative stanza or a discouraging chord. may sound that way, but bear with me. When we get to the end of the message, I hope we're together. I hope you've borne it out and uh, have stayed with me because I want to tell you the prospects for First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs are as bright as the promises of God and are as bold as our obedience to the Lord. A study from 2004 revealed that in the United States, the churches, the church at large, is experiencing a death rate of more than 3,500 to 4,000 churches each year. 2004. A 2017 study of the Journal for the Scientific Study of Religion led by Simon Brower revealed each year from 2006 to 2012 some 5,000 congregations dissolved each one of those years in America. 5,000 churches closed in 2006. 5,000 more closed in 2007. 5,000 more closed in 2008 and so on all the way to where it was measured up to 2012. I shared what I'm about to share with you with one of our members this morning in the sound booth, a couple of them, really. And uh, it was Gary. He, he's the one putting all these things on the screen. And he said something that, that kind of caught me a little bit and, and stopped me in my, my thinking. And I said, you know, I, I thought he was exactly right the more I thought about it. And he said the same thing a few weeks ago when I gave you the statistics about spirituality in the state of Mississippi where 62% of the people of the state of Mississippi do not believe Jesus is the only way to heaven. 
vast majority of Mississippians are lost and unsaved. He said the same thing to me back then. I don't know if you remember that, Gary, but you did. But he said, as he read, and I shared with him some of these, these uh, facts from study, he said that um, Pastor uh, Dr. Mike, people aren't going to believe what you tell them today. They're not going to believe these statistics. They're not going to believe them. Well, I want to tell you something, folks. Um, I know you don't have the research that I have, and you haven't done that research. Maybe you have. But um, what I'm about to tell you comes from many different sources of scientific entities that do these studies. Many of them are secular. They have nothing to do with the church at all, but they, they study trends and megatrends. Others are um, from religious entities, bodies. Even within our own Southern Baptist work, Barna Research Group is involved in this. You've heard of the Barna Research Group. And how I began to delve into this a little bit was rather sudden, my dear friend Randall Colfield has kinfolk in our church. Randall and his family used to be a member of our church, and he uh, went into the pastorate and is pastoring now. He called a while back and said, I, I'm, I'm finished with my doctoral dissertation. I need, if you would, I need a recommendation. Would you write a recommendation for its publication? And I said, absolutely, and he sent it to me, and I commenced to read it, and he's writing on church revitalization. And he makes use of many of these studies in his doctoral dissertation. And I delve into it a little bit deeper and found some others. And they all bear out the same numbers that I'm about to give you. The information gleaned by him and from studies and research from many sources give us a sad look at Southern Baptist life. We're Southern Baptist Church. Actually, we're a church who is a member of the Southern Baptist Convention. If you know your church polity, we are a Baptist church, and we choose voluntarily to participate and to partner in the Southern Baptist Convention. So we call ourselves Southern Baptist Church. And uh, I don't want to be anything else. I'm thankful to be Southern Baptist. Southern Baptist educated me, raised me. I was a Southern Baptist nine months before I was born. And uh, they provided mission opportunities, uh, taught me in their churches. We have the greatest missionary sending organization in the world. Um, we are a great convention, and I'm thankful for it. And so what I'm about to share with you is staggering. And so, you can choose not to believe it, but that's what you're doing. You're just choosing not to believe it. You're just choosing to say, well, uh, so be it, and uh, that's it. But look around, folks. Look around, and you'll see that uh, not only do studies and scientific research and statisticians and historians and and people who study trends and megatrends around the world and in our nation in particular, you'll see they are right. And um, there is a death rate happening in the churches in the country, especially among Southern Baptist churches. 90% of all Southern Baptist churches are plateaued are in decline as I speak in 2023. More than 1,000 Southern Baptist churches close each year. Did you know that? Sounds staggering. More than 1,000 Southern Baptist churches close. We do start new churches, but our start rate is not keeping up with the closure rate of Southern Baptist churches. There is not a single indication that the trend is going to change anytime soon. Therefore, statistically speaking, 
Last Sunday, 19 Southern Baptist churches had their last gathering. On Facebook, I'm a member of a, an exclusive group called Southern Baptist Pastors. You can't get in it unless you're a Southern Baptist senior pastor. Every now and then a youth guy gets in. But we're very hard on him. He doesn't last long. And when I read that statistic, I started thinking and remembering and reading a little bit closer some of the posts. Every week, I promise you, every week, it's either this Sunday will be my church's last Sunday before we close. Or we have started meetings to determine whether or not we should shut our doors. Or pray for my pastor friend so-and-so down the road. His church is closing every week. Every week. It's very troubling. Perhaps you have done the math. There are some 46,000 Southern Baptist churches in the United States. Simon Brower's study reveals that there are approximately 384,000 congregations of all denominations in the United States of America. Southern Baptist churches make up 12% of the total churches, yet Southern Baptist Convention churches account for 20% of all church closures each year. Southern Baptist Convention churches are closing at a higher rate than any other denomination, and we're the conservative ones. And you might find this unbelievable. I find it very heartbreaking, but I also find it as a personal warning. A warning. Consider this. Throughout history, and my friend Randall Colfield in his dissertation does a tremendous job illustrating this and showing this. Local churches throughout history around the world, local churches have all had a life cycle. There is a life cycle to local churches throughout the world. This cycle may take Decades, it may take centuries, it might even take longer than that. But in some cases, it takes just a years or so. But this is the life cycle, a life cycle of a local church around the world. And I'm going to show you something in just a minute that, that's going to say, wow, that's going to turn the light on. You ready? First of all, churches get birthed. And then churches grow. And then churches plateau. And then churches decline. And eventually they close. That is the life cycle of a local church. Birth, growth, plateau, decline, and eventually close. Whether you're Southern Baptist Church, Methodist Church, Independent Church, that is the life cycle of every church. Consider this. You say, I don't believe that. Consider this. Not one, not one single church in the New Testament is in existence today. Not one of them. The seven churches of Revelation, none of them are in existence today. The church at Antioch, Brother Larry, that sent out the missionaries, not in existence today. The greatest church in all of history, I'm going to talk about in a few moments, not in existence today. All local churches have that cycle. Birth, growth, plateau, decline, and eventually close. What's the blame? Why does this happen? Well, somebody may say, well, there's fierce persecution in parts of the world. But as you read the New Testament, you see that local churches thrived during times of persecution. They thrived. They were like, they were like the people of Egypt. The more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied. The church in China is 
stronger now than it ever has been. Fierce persecution. You say, well, maybe false preaching. That certainly does do damage to a local church and will switch it from being a church to being whatever it is. Maybe a cult or a country club or something, but false teaching will certainly do great damage. It will kill a local church. Crowds might be big, but it, it's far from what God intends and what Christ died for as far as the church goes. So what is it that usually kills and brings a church to birth, growth, plateau, decline. Those last three, plateau, decline, and closure eventually. What is it that will bring a church to this? Now remember, every step in the life cycle may take years, maybe decades, maybe a great season of life. And so it's kind of hard to see. But I want to tell you what most of the time that slays a church and brings a church to closure is this. It's called mission drift. Mission drift. A church drifts away from the mission that God has given it in His Word. And they drift away. It may take years, but an SBC, Southern Baptist Convention Church in America, is more likely and eventually to close its doors due to mission drift than any other situation. As a matter of fact, that's the top reason is mission drift. So what's the answer? What's the answer to that problem? You say, well, preacher, wait a minute. Are you telling us we're about to close? No, I'm telling you we're plateaued. And we're declining. That's what I'm telling you. And so, preacher, what is the answer? Well, somebody says, well, we need a new preacher. Well, maybe you do but maybe we need new members. I don't think you need a new preacher. And I don't think we need new members. I think we need a new commitment. I think we need, need to be reminded. We don't need a new mission. We need to be reminded of what our mission is and then get on it. Now, that's not in my notes. But let me bear my heart with you. And I want you to, don't walk away. Let me, let me tell you, what I'm about to say is what I'm going to say. I'm not saying anything about anybody. I'm not saying anything about any program in particular. I'm just bearing my heart with you. I'm just bearing my heart with you. Every now and then, Miss Tracy will say, I, you ought to write a book. You ought to write. And uh, I've thought about it a few times, and I think I'm going to wait until I retire. From the pastorate. I hope I never retire from preaching, but one day you're going to look at me and say, You got to go. You can't, you can't even climb up the steps anymore. You got to get out of here, preacher. We love you. Here's your watch, here's your calendar. You know, we'll give you a turkey every year. But anyway, I would like for a layman to write a book that would say every, what every pastor needs to know about laymen. And I'd like to write a book that says what every layman needs to know about a pastor. Wouldn't that be interesting? I think we understand each other. I've been here 22 years. You, some of you have been here longer than that, and you're still here, so I'm thankful, but, um, you know, kind of neat. So I'm not saying anything that I'm not saying. I'm just saying what I'm about to say, and it's from my heart. What is the answer to this, this serious situation that, that the church at large and Southern Baptists in particular find themselves in? Well, for some, especially traditional Southern Baptists, for some, 
the answer has always been more programs, more activity. Let's start something that will bring people in. And I'll be honest with you, I used to buy that principle and that practice. It is very easy to do. But in recent years, not because of you or, or anything in particular, but in recent years, maybe I've matured in my understanding of, of church life. I don't know. But in recent years, I have not bought into that principle hardly anymore. I wish I could say I was convinced that the Word of God uh, was um, against it and therefore it's sin, we can't do it, but that's not the case. But in reality, I, sin I have learned, and you know what, if you're honest today, if you're honest today, you're going to agree with this. You hear me? I told Cole today, this morning, I said, Cole, if the crowd isn't a larger crowd, I'm probably going to preach this again next week. So just be honest. You don't have to respond to me, but be honest. I learned that only a few programs start out with a bang. Most don't. And we find ourselves seeking for what works. And that's called pragmatism. God, help us from the demon of pragmatism. And some start out with a bang, most don't. One thing after another, we try and try. And when one program does work, it goes along just fine for a while. And then things slow down. People get discouraged. People quit. And we have to struggle again to find volunteers. And we keep doing that because the program becomes the end. Keeping it going becomes the goal. And I want to tell you, in my ministry, not just here for 22 years, but all of my ministry, I have often felt like the clown at the circus who takes a stick and he puts the plate on the stick and he spins the stick. And then he gets another stick and another plate and he spins that one. And he gets another stick and another plate and he spins that one. And by the time he gets this third one spinning, this one, the first one is starting to wobble. He has to go get it spinning again. And then he gets a fourth stick and before long he's got plates spinning and wobbling and about to slow down and fall off the stick. And... Eventually, it collapses, and everybody says, he is a terrible clown. And that's how I feel sometimes, like a terrible clown who can't keep the plates spinning. And you feel that same way too, because in church life in America, it used to be 80, 20, now it's more like 5 and 95, but 5% do... 95% of the labor in the church and they just try to keep plates spinning and we can't do it. We cannot do it. And we feel like we are terrible clowns. I'm tired of being a clown. Amen. I don't want to be a clown spinning plates. So what is the answer? What did the greatest church in world history do? What did they do? We read about it in Acts 2, the Jerusalem church. The greatest church that ever existed. They saw the greatest number of people saved. They had the greatest impact. They impacted the world. We are here because of the Jerusalem church. 
They are still impacting your, although they're not in existence anymore. Let's read it. And I'll tell you what they did. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Let me ask you a question. Have you heard the word of God and know how to be saved and you're not? You need to be saved. And you need to be saved today. You need to surrender your life to Christ today and receive the forgiveness of your sins today. And then after you're saved, you need to be baptized. Let me ask you a question. Have you been saved? I hope you have. If you have, have you been baptized biblically? And if you have not, you're in disobedience, you need to be baptized. You need to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. That's how you join a local church is by baptism after you're saved. And you need to, you need to whatever it is, say, I'm afraid. Don't be afraid. I'll hold you up. And if you don't think I can do it, we'll get coal up there to baptize you. But I won't tell you what, you need to be baptized. That's what God says to do. You're in disobedience. You say, well, I always thought myself a good Christian. No, you're not. Not until you obey God and be baptized. You've got to be obedient to the Lord. You're a backslider at best. And so, these people were saved after Peter preached. And they were baptized, about 3,000 of them. And that started the church in Jerusalem. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their food with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Seven things this church did, not 27, not 47, not 17, not eight, seven things they did on a consistent, diligent basis. These are the non-negotiables. These are God's non-negotiables. We don't do these things, we will not grow. We do these things, God will add to the church. This is what God blesses. All right? Preaching and teaching the Word of God. They continued in it. It was a constant. It was always on the forefront, always being declared the Word of God. I interpret that as verse by verse preaching of the Word of God. That's why we preach through books of the Bible. That's where my conviction comes from. Preaching and teaching the Word of God. And they continued in the Word of God. I guess today you could say they preached it on Sunday, taught it on Sunday. We got wonderful Sunday school teachers in our church and Bible teachers. We got, we got some of the best Bible teachers, lay, lay people in our church. Uh, we're blessed with it. I, I, I see Dewey Herring back there. I love to watch Dewey Herring Sunday school. He's a great Bible teacher. And you, Stephen Brown, and others are by. I don't, don't mean to leave anybody out, but I'm going to leave you out because I've got to move on. <laughs> Glenn Lowry. If you're a Sunday school teacher, raise your hand. Angela, you're a good. All of you good teachers. Amen. Nobody get mad. But I'm going to tell you, uh, we got some of the best Bible teachers in our church. And they taught it, and they preached it. That's what they did. And they continued in it. They went home, and they continued in the Word of God. They continued in the Word of God. The second thing they did without compromise and with diligence was they prayed. They prayed. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've refused, and I've never made a big deal out of it, just in my own brain, I've refused to call Wednesday night prayer meeting. Because we do everything but pray. We meet, we have choir practice, we have RAs and GAs. I do a little Bible study and preaching. Those are wonderful things. Let's keep doing them and all, but we got to pray. And we got to pray together. And we got to pray independently of each other in our homes, in our prayer closets, in our prayer chairs. 
and they prayed. That's why Hoosier Mission, part of it is praying. And they prayed. And thirdly, they worshiped. They did not forsake the assemblings of themselves together as a manner of some was during those days. They worshiped. They met together on the Lord's Day on Sunday. You know, on that SBC pastor's page I was talking to you about, one of the big debates since November and early December was, can you believe these churches canceling on Sunday? Christmas, it's Sunday, it's Christmas, it's Christmas. I don't respond too much because I'm a little um, old-fashioned, <laughs> abrasive. I complimented you all ago. I guess I'm a little old-fashioned, you know. I don't, uh, so, and, and a lot of them are the new guys, the younger guys, and they have some good ideas, and I try to glean from them, you know. But um, finally, I just had enough. I said, I'm not meeting Sunday because it's Christmas. I'm meeting because it's Sunday. Yeah. Amen. I'm, I'm coming to church because it's the Lord's Day. Amen. That's good preaching whether they, the skinny jean preachers like it or not. I'm not against skinny jeans. They're, they're against me. <laughs> but they met together and they worshiped. And they focused on worship. And they praised God. No doubt when they walked in the sanctuary, they were prepared. They weren't hollering at the wife and kids and all that and then walked in to put on a smiley face. They wanted to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. He got their attention. His word got their attention during that hour of worship. And they wanted to praise the Lord. And worship took on a new dynamic. Now look, folks, I want to tell you, some people say, well, when you come into the sanctuary, you ought to be silent and reverent. I wish you would define what reverent means. You know what reverent means? Reverent means that you honor the Lord Jesus Christ. And that might be giving off a good hearty amen every now and then. It might be a shout. Or it might be just sitting down and weeping. Or it might be just quiet contemplation. All right? You got to remember, you got we all of us have got to learn to determine what is biblical and what is preference. And so they worshiped. They met together and they worshiped. We meet on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. And number four, they fellowshiped. They gathered together with one another. They got together. They loved one another. They needed one another. They relied on one another. There's some debate over whether or not this is referring to the Lord's Supper or meals. I personally, my conviction is, and as I see the text, I think it's talking about both. They met together, they had the Lord's Supper, and they ate meals together. I want to tell you, they got together and they fellowshiped over meals. And they had the Lord's Supper. And they had a common purpose and a common goal and a common struggle. And it wasn't only the, 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 the people who'd been there. It was the people who got saved. They, they grafted them in and they welcomed them in. Let me tell you something, folks. When you walk in this sanctuary, if you make a beeline to your pew without looking around to find somebody that's a stranger and you don't go up to them and introduce yourself, you're just flat unfriendly. That's good preacher whether you like it or not. You need to be friendly, amen? And you go up and you, you say, hey, I'm Mike Barnett. It's good to meet you today. I'm glad you're here. And they may look at you and say, well, brother, I've been, here for, I've been a member here for 20, 30 years. <laughs> that's happened to me before and I'm the pastor. Well, I say, I'm still glad you're here. Amen? <laughs> you got to just do that. I mean, that's just the way it is. They fellowship. They, they, they loved one another. They got together. They encouraged one another. Their, their meals were more than just to sit down and talk about Aunt Lulu's casserole and all that. They got together to encourage one another. The day's coming in the American church where we need encouragement. As a matter of fact, it's here now. It's here now. And then, number five, 
Personal evangelism. Look at verse 43. Fear came upon every soul because they lived a holy life and God's hand was upon them. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Now, a lot of this is descriptive and it's not proscriptive. Look, I don't want to get into theology of apostolic signs and all that now, but you know not everything that happened in the book of Acts is going to happen today. In today's world, we have the completed word of God. There's some common sense that goes with that. But I want to tell you something. You know what? If we start doing these great things, God will start doing great things. And the world will know it, and people will know it. And, and all that believed were together and had all things common. There's your fellowship. They sold their possessions, continued daily. And, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. They practiced personal soul winning, personal evangelism. They didn't leave it up to the, to the International Mission Board or the North American Mission Board or to the, the staff and, and the apostles. They were out going door to door. They were out winning souls. They looked at people as you're lost or saved. I want to win you to Christ, God. They recognized the connections that God gave them. Personal evangelism. They had a mission, and it was a continuing mission. Verse 41 tells us the sixth thing. They discipled their new converts. They baptized them. In the New Testament, baptism and discipleship always goes hand in hand. It's always together. When somebody stands in the baptistry, they say, I am telling the whole church and the whole world and everybody who's watching this that I am saved and following the Lord. Years ago, a buddy of mine were in Florida and there's a, a historic church in Florida that we wanted to go see, a pastor that uh, we had heard preached many times, not First Baptist Church, but another church, large church. And we just wanted to go to that church and see the sanctuary and and uh, it was on an afternoon uh, during the week, and the door was open. We didn't have to break in. It was Brother John McGuire, Martha's his sister, sitting right there. And so we didn't have to break in. We walked in. We wouldn't have broke in, but we walked in. And we're looking at this big sanctuary. It's empty. Nobody's in there. And a man walks in, and he has a little boy with him. And the boy's from the school. And he walks in and he says, can I help you, gentlemen? I said, well, we're just looking around. We, we've admired this ministry for a lot of years and we're just here to kind of be nostalgic and, and uh, see the sanctuary. Oh, well, well, make yourself at home. He said, I'm going to go baptize this boy. And uh, okay. He took him up there, baptized him, and sent him on his way and he came back and started talking to us. I said, well, man, don't you baptize... Uh, on Sunday morning, you know, in front of your people? He said, oh, can't do that. He said, some of our folks would be upset because that little boy doesn't look like us. Now, that's, that is not biblical on several fronts. I, I could preach all day on that, and I'm not because I'm preaching something else. But you know what? It's unbiblical because it wasn't public for one reason. The sin of hate and bigotry is another. And I want to tell you what, if I, if I ever had any one of my church members tell me, we don't want somebody of a different race coming to our church, I would go to a church that had predominantly that race. I would pay about 15 of them to come sit on the front row one Sunday morning. <laughs> Amen. Just to make you mad. Amen. <laughs> but anyway, and we don't have that problem here at First Baptist. We're blessed. But it's not public. These people were baptized publicly. And that was a statement. I'm saved and I'm committing my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. He committed his life to me. And he's given me his life, new life. And here I am to serve the Lord. And I've been baptized publicly. And discipleship begins when that happens. Discipleship begins when that happens. Baptism and Discipleship are always inclusive. And then the seventh thing is, is they did ministry. Now, ministry looks different at different times and in different seasons. 
this week. I may be involved in the ministry. Well, let me just put it to you this way. Over the course of the last two weeks, I was involved in the ministry of celebration and, and celebrated, gave my ministry to celebrate with Jay and Missy on one day for adopting little Blakely. The next day, the judge told me he wanted me back. And I said, yes, sir. When a judge tells you to be back, you go back. <laughs> and I went back. And the judge said, I want you to do this and do this, our mass adoption. So I celebrated with a whole lot of people on our mass adoption. Did that last time they had a mass adoption, adopted about 40 kids out. And a young lady came up to me and said, are you Dr. Barnett? And I said, yeah. <laughs> and uh, she said, uh, I was in your Old Testament class and I'm adopting a baby. And she was just so happy. And so I got to celebrate with that family. Uh, and then, not too long after that, I was, I was given my ministry to a family who had lost a loved one in death, Brother Charlie. And then I was ministering to somebody with a different situation and a different situation. But they ministered one to another. You know what ministry looked like this? They were getting baptized and, they were, and, and the Jews were harassing them and they were losing their jobs and losing their property. And, and so they just sold everything they had to keep the outlaws from getting it. And they'd bring their money to the apostles and the apostles would distribute it. And that got so big, the apostles kind of got... A, it, it, the apostles were trying to spend too many plates and, they, and some of the people who really needed it began to complain and that's where deacons came from and that's what deacons are to do. Amen? Is to care, the ministry. They're not supposed to make big decisions and be budget people and all that. They're, they're supposed to minister. And that's what they did. And that's what the church did. That's what the greatest church in Jerusalem did. They ministered one to another. We're going to read in Acts chapter 7 where two of them decided, hey, this is going to make us look good. Let's, let's sell what we got, keep back some of the price, say we sold it for this much. You know what happened to them, don't you? Wow. That would have been a, another ministry. And they ministered to each other. And they ministered to the lost. They ministered to people. They ministered to people who weren't saved and they ministered to people, each other. They helped each other. When somebody was down, they did the downtime ministry. When someone was up, they did the uptime ministry. Hurting, they did the hurt ministry. That's what they did. They ministered one to another. Met the needs as they could. And so that's the seven things they did. Now, I want to tell you something, folks. That is what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to focus on. I'm not going to spend plates. If God raises up a worker, or if I see a ministry that needs to be done, I'm not going to go run around trying to get volunteers. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to scratch off a place and get on my knees and I'm going to say, God, if you want us to have that ministry, that program here at First Baptist Church, you put it on someone's heart, raise them up, bring them to me, and we'll go from there. I don't want volunteers. I want God-called people. When Jesus said, look out on the fields, they're wide unto harvest. He didn't say run around, get volunteers, and keep the plates spinning. He said, pray for workers that God will call and raise up. Amen? That's the biblical way. That's the biblical way. And so, let me close out with some observations and you can get to your black-eyed peas and cabbage. Larry Gartman and I get together from time to time and we talk scripture and most of the time we talk about the ministry of Paul and the letters of Paul and his brilliance and this morning as I was looking over this message, I said, you know, I need to call Brother Larry and share this with him. And I didn't do it, and he came up to see me in my office. He said, a couple of you were going to bring me $100 bills, and I might as well take it. No, I'm playing. <laughs> but Larry and I were talking about this today. Here's some insights. Paul established churches on his missionary journeys, and he used the Jerusalem principle. You think about it. And my, my, my friend Randall Colfield really brings this out. I was real happy to see this and, and thankful for it. It was great insight that 
Paul was influenced by the Jerusalem church before he was ever saved. These are the people he started persecuting. And then after he was saved and he went on his missionary journeys, he brought these seven principles that he knew they did and he learned to do himself to where he would go and preach the gospel and start churches. The Jerusalem principle. And then he kept up with the churches. Every missionary journey, he backtracked on these churches that he had started. He was more than a church starter. He, he made sure they stayed true to these seven principles. Whether visiting them again or writing them or his letters, you can take these seven principles. Let me challenge you as you read through the New Testament, especially Acts and the epistles of Paul this year in 2023. Write down in a journal these seven principles I just gave you that the greatest church did. And every time you see one of those themes in the book, one of Paul's letters, write down the text underneath. Those seven themes, everything Paul wrote to the churches can be categorized under one of these seven themes. Paul knew that Jerusalem church. And so he made sure they were revitalized. He made sure they were keeping up with it. Eventually, these local churches ceased to exist Somewhere up the line from Paul and somewhere down the line from us, they abandoned and drifted away from these principles. And now they are no longer. If this will be our first Baptist church of Ocean Springs, if this will be you and me, what we do, First Baptist OS, will grow. The people who do these things with diligence and understand that this is, needs to be our focus and get after them. Take advantage of what we provide, the opportunities we have, and guard them, protect them. God will bless the church. God will bless the church. People will be saved. This is the promise that we have from God, Matthew 16, 18. Jesus promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. There will always be a faithful remnant, always, and the gates of hell will not prevail. But one day they may let up, and the gates of hell do prevail in local churches here and local churches there. But thanks be unto God, he'll always have his witness. These are the weapons of our offense. This is what tears down the gates of hell. This is victorious Christian living. This is victorious church. We can grow and we can thrive with souls being saved and discipled if we will resolve to these things and say this is what we need to do. Not some more programming, not some more major activity that takes resources, but just do these things. I, Cole came up this morning and said, what are you going to preach on today? I said, let me show you. Very rarely do I show people, do I, Tracy? I said, I'll show you. And Cole said, man, that's just so simple. And I said, exactly. He said, we could do that for free. <laughs> Amen. Cole got it. But this, this is, needs to be your resolution. We have everything in place for these things to thrive. Will you be present? Will you participate? Don't be a volunteer. Be a God-called saint toward these things. And in very particular, especially for one of them or several of them, really. Number one, will you rededicate yourself to the Lordship of Christ as all authority is given him to send us forth as a witness? Will you? Will you pray and ask God to burden you for one lost soul, somebody you know by name, somebody you can interact with. They may live in Columbia. They may live out of state. But you know them, and you talk to them, and you have a relationship with them, and they are lost. And if they don't get saved, they're going to die and go to hell. And you know it, and you need to see them saved. Somebody who needs to be saved now. Will you pray and ask God to burden you for at least one, not a whole group of people? Don't, don't, 
don't say, my mission's going to be the children in South Mexico. If you want to pray for the children of Southern Mexico, please do. There's missionaries we have down there. We can support them. But for who's your mission at First Baptist Church, we need a name you're connected with. Somebody that you can reach. Somebody that we can help you reach. Pray that God will burden you for one soul. At least one. You can have five. You can have six, but at least one. Thirdly, will you make that person your mission? Your mission. Daily think. Daily pray. Daily consider. Number four, will you put them on the missions list of our church? Will you put them on the missions list of our church? Right now, we have 52. 52 names. 52 missionaries. How do we know? Because we've been asking you to fill out this blue card. And the blue card is, says, who's your mission? Only list one mission per form. You may have two. If you've got two, get two forms. Your name, who you are, Mike Barnett. Your mission, John Doe. That's my mission. Your relationship, he's a neighbor. Age, however how old you think they are. Location, where do they live? Right here in Ocean Springs. Special notes. This particular person is, claims to be um, uh, raised Catholic but claims to be an atheist, has a lot of bitterness toward the church. When I've tried to share the gospel with them before, they have immediately turned me off, but they still maintain a close friendship. And you turn that in. 52. I'm praying for 100. Now, I want to tell you something, folks. You need to do this as soon as you can. Maybe you have your mission and you just hadn't done it yet. You hadn't filled the form out yet. Fill out the form today. You can go online. Who's your mission? You can do it online. You can do it before you leave. Bring it to me. Put it in the little box outside the church office. But if you know your mission, fill out the form. You say, well, I want two missions and I only know one. Fill out one form. We want to know these things. So on the 23rd, we can, we can really have a, a, a good understanding of where we are. Now, you might wait till the 23rd if you don't know who they are. That's fine. You say, well, preacher, I have till the 23rd. Look, if you have a mission on July 4th, bring him to me or her to me. And let me just say this, and this is from my heart, and I'm not, being, I'm not berating anybody or belittling anybody. I have been so blessed by what people have said to me about this ministry. It's not a program. This ministry we're doing. It's been, it's been tremendous. I've been so proud of my church family and happy. But also know that some people are a little bit hesitant. They know exactly the right thing. They need to do this. But they're hesitant. They're afraid. Or they don't. I don't know of anybody that's been totally against this. There's been a few people not follow directions explicitly, but I think their heart's in the right place. But uh, Let me just say this. You may be sitting there thinking, I could never do that. I could never go to this person with the gospel. Well, let me ask you this. Can you at least pray for them? Do you at least know who they are? You might even say, preacher... I have a hard time praying, and I'm, I don't feel real confident in my prayer life right now. Let me tell you something. Put their name down. Fill out the form. We're going to minister to each other. We'll stand in the gap. Amen. And even if you're so away from God right now that you know this is the right thing to do, but you're just going to refuse to do it, if you know somebody who's lost, put the name on it because I want them to be saved. And I'll take them as a mission. All right? But do it today if you know your mission. Let's get the job done. Let's have 100. So put them on the list. 
And then will you commit to pray for the missions of your church? We're going to have some organized prayer meetings on Wednesday nights, probably beginning in February after all the activities are done. I know the choir's going to do this. I'm going to do this. We're going to sit down and have an organized season of prayer for these names, for these souls, and for these missionaries. And we're going to do some unique ways to organize that prayer ministry, but we're going to have old-fashioned prayer meeting for the lost. Now, look, I'm going to warn you right now. If you start praying for Aunt Lulu's ingrown toenail, I'm going to call you down. We'll pray for Aunt Lulu's ingrown toenail before Wednesday night or, or after we're done, but this is going to be praying for the lost. Amen. All right. I, I, the, the ingrown toenail is important. But uh, we, we got we to pray for the lost. Amen. Pray for them. And I commit to you, I will pray for every mission by name and missionary connected to it every week, at least three times a week. Maybe every day if God imposes that upon me. I will. I'll be praying for you by name and your mission by name. I will. But I need specific names. Then, will you make this commitment formal on January 22nd, 2023, when we have our Who's Your Mission Day? You may be concerned about a mission, and you might be saying, well, Pastor, I've got a mission, but... I- I just don't think they're ever going to be saved. They're so hard. Come back next couple of weeks. We're going to be preaching on who's your mountain. I'm going to teach you how to move that mountain. All right? I've led some pretty hard guys to the Lord. There was an old boy at my last church named Eddie Wayne. Eddie Wayne was mean. Folks, he was mean. And one day one of my church members came to me and said, we got to do something. Eddie Wayne has put nails in my driveway. We got flats all over. Everybody in the house got flats. Eddie Wayne got mad at me. You got, you got to understand, they lived in the country. And uh, he said, I said, well, let's just pray for Eddie Wayne. Let's just pray for Eddie Wayne. So we started praying for Eddie Wayne. Eddie Wayne wouldn't give me the time of day until God brought a pickup connection to his motorcycle. And Eddie Wayne was in the Shreveport Medical Center. And I drove to see Eddie Wayne at the Shreveport Medical Center. And I walked in there and I said, Eddie Wayne, you're going to have to listen to me now. Right now it's your leg that's all tore up. It could have been your brain. And we wouldn't be having this conversation. See, I knew he was mean. I needed to get spiritual mean. And Eddie Wayne got saved. And I baptized Eddie Wayne and eventually his brothers and sisters and all their family. Amen. Now, I want to tell you, God can save anybody. You want to know another reason? You know why? I I know God can save everybody, not because he saved Eddie Wayne, anybody, not because because he saved me. I know how sinful I am. If you knew how sinful I was, you wouldn't want me as your pastor. And if I knew how sinful you were, I wouldn't want to be your pastor. I want to tell you something. God can save anybody. They may be mountains, but God says we can move a mountain, and I'm going to show you how to do that, and it's not what you think. It's not what you think. So who's your mission? Will you resolve to these things? Let's stand. We're going to pray. I have given three invitations already in the message One is is for you to be saved. Are you 100% certain that if you died today, you'd go to heaven? If not, you need to be saved. You need Jesus. We want to help you come to know Jesus and have that assurance of heaven, a heavenly home, and heaven in your home and in your heart. Number two, if you have been saved and you've never been baptized, that's the second part of the invitation. You can choose to obey God right now. Come down and tell me about it. And we'll pray about it, and we'll get together, and we'll baptize you ASAP. I'm not averse to baptizing any day of the week. If we get a crowd in here, amen, we'll baptize anywhere. And um, you need to obey God. And thirdly, will you?
do these things. Will you do them with me? We're with each other. We're together. This is fellowship. This is ministry. This is evangelism. This is prayer. This is worship. This is what God would have us to do. Get back to the very basics of the Jerusalem principle. If you need prayer, if you need help, if you need encouragement, I'm going to be standing up front as we sing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your great grace and mercy and kindness and love and for giving us the models of these great churches through the centuries. But Lord, it's troubling that somewhere down the line they drifted away from your original intention of what a church should do and what its people should do, and they're no more. May First Baptist Church be alive and well at the rapture because we stick to these things. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You come as the Spirit leads. This is Cole Andrews. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I just wanted to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com. 